everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, friends. Our teaching today is anchored in Isaiah 55, right around verse 2 and 3. It says this, Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Happy New Year, y'all. We did it. 2024. Here we go. I'm, I'm excited. We, didn't, we did not have church last week, which means you got a staff and a teaching pastor who's just like, I'm, I am ready. I am so excited for a new year. And... Uh, some of that transition has happened getting ready for Christmas, going through Christmas. I was looking online. I actually, I, I hate, I'm, I'm like technically a millennial by two days, depending on how you count things. But the way I engage social media is as if I'm from the greatest generation. Like, I don't get this. I don't like that. I don't want to do this. Um, and, and so I had to download Facebook again on my phone because I was trying to find this particular gift for my wife. Having forgotten that probably a couple months ago was the last time I did it because one of my kids, we've been watching the show alone. I don't know if there's any alone people out there, but if you've seen the show alone, it's amazing. But I watched it with my two oldest kids, and they wanted to learn how to build a Paiute deadfall. It's this weird survival trap that you build when you're dying. And, and so we'd looked it up. I, so I open up Facebook, and all Facebook is telling me is, hey, Zach, great to see you again. Here's how to build a Paiute deadfall. I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm trying to figure out where to find this gift for my wife. Okay, great, cool. How about this Paiute deadfall? Have you seen this Paiute deadfall? And I don't know how much you've been in the world of like algorithms, how much this has been like a word in your world. Remember over the pandemic watching a, a documentary called The Social Dilemma? I don't know if you've seen this, but one of the most profound thoughts for me that came out of that documentary was this idea that when it comes to the world of social media, as much as you'd like to think that you're the customer, that, that these things were built for you, in the world of social media, you're the product. You're being used for ad agencies to give money to the social media companies. So the longer that a social media outlet can hold your attention, the more money they make. You're the, pro you're, you're the product. You are not the consumer. You are not the customer. It's, it's amazing. So therefore, our phones and our TVs, these pleasure boxes and entertainment cubes that we surround our lives with, they're constantly being created and fashioned to our liking. Every want, every desire, what do you want to know? What do we think you know? How can we predict what you will want next? It's all built around you. This weird, self-gratifying insulation that we build for ourselves. And they're created from the ground up to be as addictive as possible. I don't know if this thought has ever occurred to you, but if somebody walked up to you on the street and handed you hard drugs and looked you in the face and said, you'll be addicted to this immediately, do you want some? Any person in their right mind would be like, absolutely not. And social media walks up and says, hey, we're actually not gonna tell you, but this will be instantly addictive. And we're all like, yeah, that's awesome. It's like the world of social is crazy to me. They're creating these portals through which we can escape reality, to be distracted, to be mildly entertained. And as a culture, like as human beings, it's amazing. We won't get into this today, but the research that they're continuing to do around teenagers, like tweens, and, and how it's affecting their brain, and how they're learning to communicate or not communicate, it's amazing. 
these algorithms, the, this whole way of our culture, how we communicate, it's all shifting. And if we could liken it to something, I would liken it to this, like going on a date with somebody who constantly tells you what you want to hear, which sounds great. At first. I mean, that sounds like such a great date. It sounds like an okay second date. It sounds like a super annoying third date to me. And likely, it's like somebody who's a robot. It's likely worse Somebody who's just constantly feeding me the same sick and twisted version of reality that I already think that I know, that's not true. And the speed, man, it's just constant stimulus. We really struggle to feel the sensation in our culture, especially the younger that you get, the sensation of something called boredom. We, we just don't, we don't do it anymore. We don't know how, it drives us crazy. And we choose to label a word like boredom with other things like silence and quiet. Ugh, it's crazy. I remember this one time hanging out with one of my Young Life kids and inviting him and a, and a group of guys like, hey, five minutes before you get ready for bed at night, just sit in quiet in your room. And my friend Josh spoke up for the whole room and said, that's the most terrifying thing anyone's ever asked me to do as a 15-year-old. I don't know what I'm gonna find if I'm quiet for five minutes. That sounds suffocating. The practice of hearing God, that's a different thing. I think it clashes pretty hard with our culture because God's built different. He's not built around your every fancy and desire or mine. He's not like going on a date with somebody who only tells me what I want to hear. And so when it comes to the practice of hearing God, of listening to God, of having a relationship with God, we can get frustrated really quickly because it's not like all these other ways that we're learning how to communicate. And even for those that say, well, social media is not my thing, it's not even like communicating with a friend or a spouse or a stranger on the street. There is a whole other level to this. And as we lean into this new year, I'm, I'm thrilled, but Part of the invitation of these next five weeks will be to just uncover the question, how do you listen to God's voice? Is that something that you can do? And is that something that you do? A pastor named Peter Grieg, I think, said this so well. Learning to hear the voice of God is the most important thing you can learn. I don't know what other things you might classify as above this, or if you read those statements and that statement and say, oh, that sounds right about true to me. But I think there's a lot of ways that you can feel about this. I don't know how bringing up this subject hits for you. I think culturally there's a lot of different ideas. Here's six thoughts on how people can respond to this whole idea of hearing God. The first is this, God never spoke. God, God never really said anything. The Bible, everything we have, sure, God might be out there, but all of this has been man-made. It's, it's, like, it's all our best attempts at trying to explain something that's unexplainable, but no one's ever really heard from God. And with each of these six things, I think as we try and understand, well, what then does that tell us about that kind of a God? If this is where we're at, if we think that God never spoke, then that would lead us to believe that God is the type of God who just doesn't care. He simply created and he walked away. Absentee parent. Alleged reports of his speaking are just that fabrications of somebody else's longing. Maybe ideologically you don't align with this, or maybe you do. 
For those that buck against that right away, I would just encourage you, like this is so much harder than it seems on black and white or orange because we think one way, but we often live a different way. How do you think and how do you live? Here's the second one. God's done speaking. God told us everything we needed to know thousands of years ago, and he simply doesn't see the need to repeat himself. Some of us hold this kind of a view. And if this is true, this also tells us something about God. This kind of a God is, is somebody who just, it, he simply wants to communicate information. I just want you to know the things, and I've told you all the things, so now I have nothing left to say. A purely informational kind of a God. Now it's up to you to simply learn it or to ignore it. There's this third thing that we can believe about all this. God does speak today, but only to some people, only to like gifted people. Some people have a knack for it. You could go as extreme as our Mormon friends who believe that there's only one person on the planet, their prophet. They have this kind of red telephone to God. They receive all of this prophecy and they disseminate it to the rest of the world. Or you could go as light here as just believing like some people just have a knack for this and some people don't, and that's okay. But if that's true, what does that tell us about God? Maybe it's just that he's busy. Like he's got so many things to do, he only has time to talk to one person and then he's got to get on to some other stuff. Or maybe it's that he really wants to be involved, but he loves structure, particularly power structures. So I'm going to tell this one person and give them all of this power and then they can figure out from there what other structures need to be built to maintain that power. And there's way more ways to interpret this, but there's a couple. Here's, here's where it starts to get real exciting and dicey for us. Maybe you believe that God speaks to us, all of us, all the time, but because we're flawed, we, it can't be trusted when we hear his voice. Therefore, we should never count on it. And in this kind of thinking, theologically, it would be this thought of God is awesome, but we're so messed up, we're like a broken TV antenna that only gets static. So like, let's just not talk about it. Let's rely on the things that we know. We have the Bible. Let's just read that all the time. That's all really that we have. One thing to see it on paper. One thing to look at. How do you actually live? Does this hit close to home? Here's a fifth one. God speaks to all of us all the time. It should always be trusted, and it should be wielded like a flaming sword. I don't know if you have friends that are like this. I do. Um, I have some that love to use the phrase, God told me, dot, dot, dot. And the way that they say it, sometimes it's so forceful. And if this is true, this kind of theological thinking will lead us to believe God is awesome. We are awesome. There's no possible way we could mishear or misinterpret him. And therefore, no one can stand in our way when we're including each other as we're going through this process of hearing God's voice. To all the kicked puppies in the room, like me, when it comes to folks who have been around you, who have said things in the name of Jesus or in God's name, and it's just not true, this, this becomes sticky for us. And then here's one final idea. God speaks to all of us all the time. It should always be trusted and also always submitted in community, not with a dictatorial demand, but with humility and curiosity. Theologically, if this is where you land, it's this thought of God is awesome, and we are fundamentally good. 
However, we're not without flaws. God wants us to enjoy relationship with him by being intimately involved with us individually, but also wants us to revel in the gift of relationships to each other as we pay attention to what others are hearing and also to what God is saying to us. It's an individual and a corporate experience. This is not as simple as it appears. And I really, I just want to underscore the crux for so many of us who are deists, who believe that there is a God out there, especially Christians, is that we believe in a personal God, but at best we live in a reality of options three and four. We treat him like he's some foreign dictator. He has things to say, he has things that he wants done, but our access to him, our ability to commune with him, the time we actually spend with him is relatively small. It would begin with understanding that it's a process, this idea of hearing God. It's not simply a task. I, I love the way that Peter Grieg says, said it. He, he said, learning to hear the voice of God is the most important thing you can learn. It's not a light switch that is either on or off. He does not say it's the most important thing you can do. This is a skill. It's an activity. It's a dynamic practice that you will never finish understanding, checking out the claims of Jesus, checking out what it's like to listen and to experience and to have an inter-dialogue and an extra-dialogue and a supernatural dialogue. It is something to be learned perpetually. I love this quote. So no matter what you believe, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or whether you're simply just somebody checking out the claims of Jesus, I would encourage us with this too. We probably share a couple things in common. At some point in your life, you've prayed the same prayers that I have prayed, the prayers of desperation. God, I could really use a home run right now, and A on this test would be fantastic. The common to the human experience over all of history is that humankind just tends to engage prayer. Because of that, we share another thing in common. Why does it so, seem so hard to hear God when I need him the most? Have you ever had that thought? Some of you coming into a new year, ending last year, you're like, I'm feeling that every minute of every day. Why as a follower of Jesus does it seem like it's so hard? Wouldn't a good God want to make this easy? And even an okay God would make it decently possible for Christians, but in my mind, a really good God, a dad kind of a God, would want to make it even more easy for the people that don't yet know him. How does all of this work? And again, if I can talk to you as a person and not a pastor, I just sometimes feel so skeptical about this conversation. I have been told things in the past that were from God that were not. So how do you enter into this conversation with some form of trust and a semblance of faith that's rooted and grounded in something rather than just a willy-nilly somebody said it? And therefore, hearing God's voice is just this subjective, I guess we just have to go with it type of a thing. So while all these thoughts are good to muse about, I think the fundamental task of those that call themselves followers of Jesus, for those that are really checking out, how does all this work? Is that we don't just sit around with our fingers in our belly buttons wondering. We go to the book. We say, what does God have to say about this? What are his thoughts? And today, I'm delighted that we're in Isaiah, of all places, 
But here's more of Isaiah 55 that we started reading earlier. And we'll dive into this a little bit. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Yes and please and thank you. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Mm. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Mm, there's, I, I, we could like... We could spend seven more hours minimum going through like what just happened. This is such rich stuff. So we're going to like have to skip off the surface. But there's a couple things I think are so critical that God is giving to Isaiah to then give to us here. If we're trying to understand how does God feel about communicating with us, this is straight from him. So what did we just pick up? In the context of Isaiah, God has just promised this entire nation of Israel that he was going to take care of them, but it was going to be during a time of exile, which feels like a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Like, you're going to take care of me, but you're kicking me out of my house. What's happening right now? He also has been so clear before this, and now he's just driving it so far home. I'm going to take care of you because I'm going to be with you the whole time. I'm going to be communicating with you whether you're at home or in exile or when you're being returned home. I will be with you the entire way. But it's clear here that whether in in exile or in restoring, he wants to talk with them, not just be. There is communication language all over this thing. And the first verse talks about free food and free drink. It's as if God's saying, it's ready. It's right here. I've set the table for us, and everyone is invited. I don't know if you caught that. The first word, technically in the NRSV, the first word is ho, everyone, which felt both like a great Christmas throwback, and also in our culture, we don't throw around the word ho very lightly. So I took it out. So I start with everyone, which is the second word, but we're treating it like the first word. Everyone is invited to this. 
Slide two. Verse two, excuse me. What was the invitation? Is the invitation to a banquet. Is God actually saying, sit down and I want to eat a meal with you? Yes. And there's more going on here. They may meet the eye. Let's put up the end of verse two and the beginning of verse three. He says this, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come listen to me. Listen so that you may live. That's weird. (laughs) He's saying, listen, eat. Those are two different things and he's saying them at the same time. So either he's saying, I want you to listen to me as you're eating, which sounds delightful, or he's saying, you know what the most true thing is? Your food and your drink, they are the words that I'm speaking to you and over you. I am everything that you need to be sustained. And it's free. I love Jesus hits this at one point in his life in the temptation. He says, man is built to live on every word that flows from God's mouth. That's my bread. Jesus is living out the same kind of relationship with God. There are no prerequisites to this, except apparently simply being hungry and thirsty. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to subscribe to this whole list of beliefs before you can begin to have this kind of conversational relationship with God. God's making himself available to everyone. And so... It would seem that the nature of our hunger, according to Isaiah, is not merely food, but that the nature of our hunger is something else. And man, it's just not hard to identify with this. I was driving around over the Christmas break with my kids in the car. I'd had my radio, news radio on from the night before, and like the news report came on for the day, and I had to turn it off like halfway through. So I'm like, we're going to go play with my kids. I'm like... They're just hearing about murder and war and all like, gosh, I just hunger for peace. I hunger not, not just for like the earmuffs of being able to turn off my radio. I want the world to be well again. And that's for sure an international thing. That's for sure a local thing. But man, the guy that I see in the mirror every day, I would love for him to be well again. Because there, there's things in me that are not Okay things that I'm wrestling with, things that feel at war with each other. I want to do some things, and I find myself doing the opposite. What the heck? God, I, I, I have a hunger, the hunger for things, all the things to be set right. I have a d- deep desire for deliverance and for justice and for the restoration of all things broken. That is a desire for God whether you know him or not. And this kind of like food, hunger, talking with God, all this kind of language, we've heard this throughout the Bible before. If there's one place that captures it, it's in the book of Psalms, which were written by a guy named David. David loves to use the image of hunger and desire and food and drink to talk about the nature of his relationship with God. And it seems that Isaiah is is doing this beautiful thing where God is just saying, hey, let's use that as the idea. That's our template. That's what we're talking about. Let me put up the end of verse 3 here again. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Why are we talking about David all of a sudden? He didn't bring up any other biblical character 
it's clear that he's pointing out there's some sort of relational dynamic that happened there that I want to do with everyone. What was going on with David? Way back, God had entered into this special relationship with God. It was a relationship filled with promise. It didn't mean that God was any more real to David than the average person in Israel, but the Psalms show us how real God was to everyone. Despite that, this covenant, the Psalms that we have today, were quite simply born out of a particular practice that David had, listening to God, spending time with God. Many of them are speaking back to God, simply being with God. As you consider the Psalms, each has a way of drawing you into a pretty singular focus. They are all about David's focus on God's activity in him and around him. I mean, they're wonderful to read. How many poets do you know who have been read for 2,000 years? It's a short list. It's more than 2,000 years. Amazing. Now, God did work through David in ways that he didn't apply to every Israelite. David had special experiences in God's trust, with God's trustworthiness and with God's commitments. And as a result of these, David was a leader and a commander for the people over whom God gave victory. It was amazing. And he was a witness to all of the people, all the things that God was doing in him. But now... In Isaiah 55, oh, like everything begins to shift. The whole story of Israel as a nation, if you're a Jewish person reading Isaiah 55, your eyes get crazy wide at verse 3. Because everybody knows David, national celebrity. He'll go down in history forever. It's the throne of David. They still talk about it today. In verse 3, God's saying to the people, everything I did with David... I'm doing with everyone. It's what I want with you, and with you, and with you. Everyone is invited to know me and walk with me like that. And where and the whole book of Isaiah shifts on this chapter. Again, we, I just wish we had so much time. I'm, I might be the only one, but I wish we had more time. In the previous chapters of Isaiah, they've mostly spoken of Israel and of the prophet Isaiah as God's servant. But from now on, the book will speak not only of the people in the plural as God's servants. He will, he will only speak of them in the plural. Everyone is God's servant. You, me, it's not just a small group of people. Once we get through Isaiah 55, in this text, what we just read, God just makes this a decree. And this is a beautiful verse here where I think even David would agree. God's just doubling down on something he's always expressed that he's wanted, a relationship with each person as well as the whole of the community. This invitation is a continuation of a relationship that he had with Eve and with Abraham and Moses and Ruth and David. It's not hinged on being Jewish, not even on being a morally good person. This is simply an invitation to those who would listen would draw near for anyone who's hungry saying where can I find a meal that satisfies it's for you and I wanted to use this particular chapter today because while I think it's even easier to see God's heart for this kind of relationship through Jesus it is so important to know that this was not a shift that came with the gospel message this has always been God's desire 
and Jesus only illumined it more. This is God's character, God's desire. He wants you to listen. He wants you to come. He wants you to eat and drink and be satisfied. And even the type of food. Did you see that wine was on the list? I know for some of us, alcohol is a thing, and I want to honor that. I also want to honor the fact that God's not skimpy. He's not like, it's crusty bread and water. It's wine, y'all. Like, I want you to delight. I want to enjoy this with you. How does that look? Fundamental to the task of believing that there is a God is the belief that God is good and true and beautiful and that he is love and that he cares for us and that he desires for us to be with him and that he wants not only for us to listen to him but for us to know that he's listening to us. Rabbi Abraham Heschel, this is a Jewish dude, as he was thinking about all this stuff, I think he, he just, he said this so brilliantly. He said this, one cannot pray unless one has faith in one's own ability to accost the infinite, merciful, eternal God. Moreover, we must not overlook one of the most profound principles of Judaism or faith. There is something which is far greater than my desire to pray, namely God's desire that I pray. There is something which is far greater than my will to believe, namely God's will that I believe. How insignificant is the outpouring of my soul in the midst of this great universe? Unless it is the will of God that I pray, unless God desires our prayers, how ludicrous is all my praying? We cannot reach heaven by building a tower of Babel. The biblical way to God is a way of God. God's waiting for our prayers is that which lends meaning to them. I don't know if you feel this way or experience this ever. Maybe today can be a first time where when you enter into prayer, you find God giddily staring you back in the face saying, I have been waiting for you because I've wanted this more than you want it right now. And I've wanted it from, since the dawn of time. Do you experience a God like that? A God who is so delighted that he's sliding a glass of wine around going, I want to just really savor this time with you. And I always have. What is he like when you experience that? And this invitation is still extended. If it were possible, Jesus makes it even easier than ever. The story of the cross. What's happened? You're starving. Things are messed up. Justice in our world and inside of me seems to spread like wildfire. And people around are hurting, they're sick, they're dying. We long for things to be good and we hope for so much more. And no matter how hard we work on ourselves, there's just no end to the need for fixing. What is your response to this, God? Peter Grieg said, this is the most important thing you can learn are you learning to listen to God? Do you treat that invitation as if it's the most important thing? Is this impossible? Is this even unenjoyable? Like, like you would have a response of like, it sounds nice, I just don't have the time. Or it might even smack of like, it sounds awful, I'm terrified of what he might say. I can't handle five minutes of quiet at night. <laughs> it sounds terrifying. 
And why does it sometimes seem so hard to hear him? I think it's because learning to communicate with him is unlike anything else that we're used to. It invites us to learn things that are actually super good for us. It invites us to learn silence and rest and thinking and imagination. And it will likely not be at the speed of social media or the news, but so much slower and so much more intentional and so much deeper. And sometimes we just struggle to pump the brakes enough on the speed of our lives to be wanting and willing to engage that. Because of this, it will feel supernatural. It may even seem like there's just silence when I enter into this time. That's all there is. There's no God. Where's this glass of wine? I've heard of, like it's just, it's so, it's boring. Because it's not a kind of communicating that moves like all other communicating that we do in our world. But it's good. And it's right. And it's life-giving. And it's learned. So take your time as you learn a whole new thing. This will never make you feel like a product or a commodity, but will only grow in its overture of unconditional love towards you as a human being. And it will take learning. But know this. He wants you, and he's already set the table. As we kick off the year 2024, this series will aim to help us understand at least some of the basics of what it means to be on a journey of listening. And for those of you in the room that would say, man, I've been following Jesus for like 40 years. I've been listening to him for most of that time. We just encourage us. Like, this is not a simple thing. It is a learned thing. There are always new things to learn. And I have a couple invitations for us. If you're like, yeah, this is, I, I want to know more. I'm in. It's the, the next five weeks, including today. But here's some things I'd love to invite us to do together. First off, if, you, if you're like, man, I, I want a person to like walk alongside. I want to have coffee with somebody who can hold my hand and teach me how to do this. I would love for you to consider, like grab one of us, send an email to the Discovery website. Let us know that you're looking for somebody. And if you're like, I'm the person who's been following Jesus for 40 years and you're going to learn a lot from walking with somebody who's trying to figure this out. So if you're like, if you're, if you're kind of beyond this, man, the next step is to mentor somebody and to walk with them. One of my favorite books on this subject, and one of my favorite authors in general, is a guy named Dallas Willard. And Willard wrote a book several years ago called Hearing God. And it's just so, like some of the stuff he writes is mind-blowingly difficult, and it takes forever to read. This book is, is delightful. It will draw you in. The story he tells at the beginning of chapter one about his mother-in-law, like, it'll just, it's so helpful. This series will not follow along that book. And I would invite this of you. If you want to grab a copy of that, we've got them in the lobby. It's like 20 bucks. Um, You can buy that credit card or cash or whatever. Um, It will just be for five weeks. If you just say, I'm going to break this up over the next five weeks, read this. It will just continue to enhance your understanding and your practice of what it means to hear God in your life. And finally, this one, this is so funny, you guys. I feel like some crazy nun right now. We're going to be in the series for five weeks. And I thought, man, if one of the, one of the things that Willard says, is he is, he's a spiritual disciplines like freakazoid. He's so, he's incredible. He said, if you, if you laid every spiritual formation practice, every spiritual discipline in front of me and told me that I could only use one for the rest of my life, 
I would take scripture memorization 10 times out of 10. I am not the same as Dallas Willard, (laughs) but I would like to be. So taking him at his word, thinking not only about today, but about all the weeks that are to come, thought for myself first, like, I want to memorize something over the next five weeks. What feels the most appropriate? There's a whole bunch of these out in the lobby too. So if you're up for it, and if you're willing to take God at his word, this is the Ten Commandments. According to studies, like 14% of Americans have this, they can recite at least what they are. That's crazy, like crazy low, right? Like this, this is some of the most important text ever written and given to human beings, and most of us don't know what it is. The invitation would be this. On this card, you've got the, like, the word-for-word script on one side. On the back, just a real simple, if you want to start light and easy, it's on the other side. What would it be like for the next five weeks to just trust? I want to hear your voice and what you have to say. Over the next five weeks, you will hear from this stage, it is not so simple as just saying, just read your Bible more and memorize stuff, although that is good. But this will facilitate some crazy conversations. It is enlightening for being so obvious to say something like, don't murder, like, okay. The more you mull that over, you really do begin to understand God's heart for things beyond that. As you memorize words like, don't covet your neighbor's stuff, you continue to be how, so much more aware of the things that you envy and covet around. As you memorize words like, keep the Sabbath day holy, I don't know how many of you have wrestled with trying to keep a Sabbath day and it just becomes this forgotten thing. When this is memorized, even on days and weeks where it's forgotten, it just keeps it right in front of you. It is one of the Ten Commandments to just rest one day a week. And you remember it. I really have chuckled at this. This, It feels so funny. For those of you that are like Scripture Memory PTSD folks in the room, I I stand with you um, and applaud. And this is good. So you can join me in that if you like. Finally, I wanted to finish with one last experience. In the West, we're pretty weird that we'd have an entire church service, like that we do this every week here, that we fill it from start to finish with constant words, especially when we start talking about like hearing the voice of God. Now let's just fill all this time with so many words. How can you listen when you never shut up? So as your pastor, I'm gonna shut up for a second, for a second. But I want to give you a couple minutes of quiet to consider what God's up to in you and around you. And it was one of our practices and one of the gifts of this series and with so many more to come. Mm. If you need help, you could consider this question that's on me, on the screen behind me. But for the next couple of minutes, I just want to give you a minute to pay attention to God and what's he doing. Ben's going to just play some music under this. There's a really great song that we have coming in a minute. But man, for the next couple minutes, I'm just going to shut up and let God speak.